Welcome to A Word in Season with Doug Stringer and Friends. Doug is joined today by good friends, Dr. Stuart Cordemont, founder of Medical Missions International, and J.J. Ramirez, founder of Save Our Streets Ministries. You are about to hear how God wove their stories together even before they personally knew God. He had a bigger picture in mind, and they're living it out today. After the episode, be sure to visit a awordandseasonpodcast.org and check out all the free resources available to you. You can also learn more about Somebody Cares America and Somebody Cares International and all the ways that we are responding in disaster relief, in leadership awakening, prayer initiatives, and compassion outreaches. Be sure to visit awordandseasonpodcast.org. Now let's welcome our host, Doug Stringer. Welcome to another Word in Season with Doug Stringer and Friends. I am incredibly blessed today to have two longtime friends and partners in ministry. We have Dr. Stuart Cordermont with Medical Missions International, and we have J.J. Ramirez of Save Our Streets or SOS Ministries in Bryan College Station, Texas. And it's amazing how the Lord orchestrates relationships. You've heard me say over and over, the kingdom of God is built on relationships, first with God, then with one another. And the degree of influence that we have or leave to the next generation is determined on the level of those relationships, first with God, then with one another. Because relationships give definition to our lives and to our destinies. Both have had an indelible impact in my life as friends, as well as co-partners in ministry, and the interconnection that we have in this net that works together. We've been a part of mending a net for a long time. I'll start off with the one I've known the longest, and that is uh, Dr. Stuart Cordermont. Uh, with Medical Missions International. Great to have you on with us today, Stuart. Yeah, it's so great to be with you here, Doug. And of course, uh, we've gone back. In fact, you might remember what year was I was holding a Bible study back in the mid or early 80s. It was 85. 1985 was when I first heard the name Doug Stringer. And you probably regretted it a few times since then. <laughs> hey, <we're still> <laughs> no, it's all been good. It's all been good. Uh, you've always challenged me and others whenever you ministered, and it was always a good thing. But tell me a little bit about your story. How did you come to this revelation of the work of the cross and the power of the resurrection? How did Jesus come into your life? Well, I was raised Catholic, so I, I knew about Jesus. I believed in Jesus. We had walked in that church doctrine for so many years until I got to college. And then I was invited to a Bible study. At that Bible study, they actually talked about making Jesus Lord of your life. And I didn't know what that really meant. After some discussion, it was clear that making Jesus Lord of your life meant that you asked him to lead you in your life instead of leading your own life and just asking God to bless it. So at that point in time, it's like, okay, so if he's going to lead me, I've got to hear him, right? I've got to have a personal relationship with him. And when I got into medical school in 1981, I started attending a church that was spirit-filled and I had not received the baptism of the Holy Spirit yet. After a few weeks, I asked about it and was prayed for and received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And then I was really able to hear leading of God, leading of the Holy Spirit in my life. When I would read scriptures, they would just come alive to me. And we actually started a, a little Bible study at our medical school. And we had a Christian fellowship that we would have on Friday nights. It was all about sharing Jesus with people and leaning on the Lord for impressions from him and guidance from him. It was at that time that I decided against doing ophthalmology and actually went into family medicine because I realized that God was actually calling me into the mission field. And because of that, and Africa was high on that list, I changed up some of my electives in medical school so that I could spend a few months in Sierra Leone, West Africa, and actually get a taste of what mission medicine was all about. In my fourth year of medical school uh, in New Orleans, I was able to go for two months to Sierra Leone and work in a, a mission hospital, United Brethren in Christ Mission Hospital. After I was there two weeks, I knew I could live out there the rest of my life and know that I was filled with God's joy, filled with knowing that I was completing my destiny as a doctor, as a believer, as a missionary. 
Did you go to Tulane University? I went to LSU. We're across the street from each other. We actually used the same hospital, Charity Hospital, in those days for our training. Then I was, at that time, in 1985, I had been doing a radio program in Houston and other places called Turning Point of Your Day with Doug Stringer and then also On the Edge with Doug Stringer. On that particular night, I think it was a Thursday night or a Friday night, I was hosting a Bible study in my apartment at the time in Stafford, Texas. And I remember specifically after one of those Bible studies, you were there, you had been really touched. It wasn't because of me or what I said, unless you didn't like what I said, but uh, you seemed to be really moved. And you pulled me aside outside that apartment after the Bible study, and your eyes were beat red, and you could tell you were visibly touched by God, by the Holy Spirit. And you said, Doug, can you pray for me? Because you felt at that moment, God was reminding you, because at that time you were in residency at Memorial Southwest, I believe. And you said, I really... And be reminded God's called me to Africa to be a missionary, to help set up Bible schools and medical clinics and to be a part of that. And I said, well, that's great. That's great, Stuart. And you said, well, would you pray that God would raise up a godly wife for me and have that same vision? And of course, God raised up velvet for you. you but did. tell me about what you were feeling at that moment, because that really, I think something connected. I knew that we had been become friends during those Bible studies and, and interfacing together, mutual friends. But there was something that that moment, I, it's an indelible imprint in my mind of the character of what God was doing in you. And I've seen now all these decades later continues to be a passion in your heart. What was happening with you at that moment? I was so on fire to go to the mission field. I wanted to leave right after medical school. But God made it very clear to me on that trip to Sierra Leone that I needed extra training. And so I needed to get more training in uh, OB, GYN, and general surgery so that I could offer those talents on the mission field because you just didn't have the specialties that you have over here. That's why I did my residency in family medicine in Houston because they allowed me to do more in those areas so that I, I could be better equipped when I went to the mission field. And of course, after you get in your residency, you kind of get lost in the residency program. You're so busy. And of course, we, I was going to a good church. I'm like, okay, God, I, I would really like to have a wife, you know, going into Africa because I feel that I may never come back out because I'm totally committed to that. I really had been pondering about those things. And then when I heard about you and your this Bible study, we went that night. And again, your message had nothing to do with what I was going through. But the Spirit of God was so strong in the Bible study, it just made me feel like I needed to recommit to that call, whether I had a wife or not. That was one of my big issues, as is if I could find my wife before I went to Africa, life would be a lot easier. That's why I was literally in tears that night and visibly shaken as I was requesting that prayer. I think you said something because people have told me, Doug, sometimes all you do is say, Mary had a little lamb and, and God shows up. Well, I realized it's not so much what I said. It's about are we prepared of heart to welcome the presence of God yeah. that equips us. So it's not so we can stutter, we can make mistakes. Yeah. We, we may not yeah. have all our three-point and four-point service, but if we have the right heart in the presence of God, anything can happen, right? So, Stuart, thank you for being on the stand. I know you just got out of working at your clinic there in, in College Station. And, Brian, thanks for taking the time. Say so you're still in your uh, your doctor garden. Yeah, it's still in my scrubs. And JJ, so it's I want to come back to a little bit about your story. What was it that grabbed your heart? Because you came out of at-risk behavior. Tell us a little bit about that and how God sovereignly, providentially arrested your heart, brought you to know him, and you've never turned back. Thanks, Doug, for having us. And uh, I'm so honored to be with you guys. And Stuart is one of my best buds here in uh, College Station. I lived the crazy lifestyle, got caught up into the drug scene and 13 years old, I began to hang around heroin addicts, and I always hung around people older than me, and I was the only young dude that they would let hang out. So I got caught up into those streets for a long time. So I thought being a drug addict was those guys that intravenously stuck needles in their arm and shot heroin. I'm, you know, going on living life, really looking for my identity, because in the 60s, a child being born out of wedlock or in an adulterous relationship was just unheard of. So one thing that I did do is I vowed never ever to become a drug addict. Two things, I'm not going to cry in front of you, 
in front of nobody. I wasn't going to be vulnerable like that anymore in front of nobody. And I wasn't going to be a drug addict. Well, whatever a man sows, that would he also reap. So in destruction all those years of selling drugs, my brother and I became one of the top drug dealers in our community. Back in them days, of course, it was a lot smaller. So long story short, I started dating my sister-in-law's sister. So my brother and I married sisters. My brother was a drug dealer at times, and so I looked up to him, but I had my own thing going. I've been involved in a lot of things, I've seen all my friends go to prison, watched my friend bleed to death. I've had bullets come by my ear, and once you hear that sound, you'll never forget it, and sometimes you wake up with it coming by your ear again. So I was caught up. I didn't believe that I would live to see 25 years old when I was about eight or nine or 10 years old. So just living, and that was a small town. And so I finally decided to get married to get out of that lifestyle. I was tired, it was old, I just wanted to get away. I wanted a family and I wanted the American dream, my own house. I wanted my children to know who I was and they would never doubt who they weren't. But I didn't think about that when I was younger because at 17, a little girl was born that I entirely said was not my child. It was a one night thing, but that's very important to my story. She's a good girl, she wasn't like that. It was just me. I was not getting along with my wife. She had our first son. He was a year and a half before she finally got pregnant again during my drug addiction and her age and also married older. Don't tell her I said that, okay? Yeah. But I knew I wanted her to be the mother of my, my children. We weren't getting along and I started drinking more and I'd gotten away from the drug scene. So I just wanted a little bit of cocaine to kind of pick me up, take me through the day tomorrow for work and I, I was gonna be all right. Well, he didn't have powdered cocaine and I didn't know at that time I'd been removed that they came up with this new drug called crack. And he said, we've got to go inside to do it. Well, I've tried every drug except shoot heroin in my veins. And I thought, eh, eh, we'll see how this works. Well, that eh and that little bitty stuff was married, had my children working on my American dream, had my little house. It wasn't the biggest thing, wasn't the best thing, but it was my house. She gets pregnant and now I am went from just doing it on the weekends to $150 to $250 drug out of it where I'm selling everything in the house. Wow. And my wife is struggling. We're all struggling. And I don't know what to do because I'm used to being in control. I'm not used to it. And here I am. There was this one particular day that she didn't trust me with my own son. She's pregnant and having to drive from the west side, east side of Bryan to the west side of Bryan to drop off my children and then go all the way to Texas University and go to work. My wife was a champ. I was the one that was messed up. I didn't want to tell anybody, embarrassed that the Hispanic machoism, all that stuff, but I finally decided that I wanted out. I don't want to do this, but I don't know how to stop. And the last thing, not to, I'm not, I don't want to be crude and I don't want to be rude, but, and I'll try to redeem myself in a minute. They're my best friends now. But the last thing that Hispanic man, the last thing we want to do is go to a white person and tell them all of our problems. That's just not our culture, that's our pride. But I knew that if I didn't, my wife was gonna leave. So I went to the drug counselor, took down all my information, met the very first time, even met a couple of more times. And one thing that he told me that stuck with me was, Mr. Ramirez, the reason why I ask you the same questions every week, because I see you getting tired of me asking the same question, is because you are a drug addict and you are always going to be a drug addict. And within myself, I didn't say that to him, express it to him. And he goes with these big words about why I'm chemically dependent. And I just sit back and say, what am I coming to you for? So now in my head, there's no hope for me. What am I going to do? Uh, the following Saturday, I'm sitting on my steps of my house. I have a screened in porch. And the sun was just coming up because I couldn't sleep. I didn't want to do this drug. I was praying that I couldn't. I didn't even know uh, about praying. I just would say, God, I don't know this. I don't want to do this today. A friend of mine passed by 
that I hadn't done drugs with and seen in about a year, year and a half. Him and I got into some serious things and I helped him out of literally almost saving his life a couple of times. He rolled by and he stopped. And I said, great. I really didn't want to talk to anybody. But he said, I knew you were going to be here. Something told me. He said, Jay, I didn't come to preach to you. I don't even know how to preach to you. The reason you haven't seen me is because I've been reading this. And he takes a little pocket Bible and he said, I've been reading this, Jay. And he got teary-eyed. We in the hood, those neighborhoods, we don't show our emotions like that. And he said, this has helped me. I don't know how to preach to you. I can't tell you what to do. But as a friend, as my brother, like no other, would you please just try it? I got angry and said, how can this man tell me that this book is going to help me? And the professional told me there's no hope for me. I was sitting on the porch one day, leaving my wife, was taking my child. I wanted to take care of my son that day. So we didn't have to pay my mother-in-law. We could save that money. My wife didn't trust me. And that hit me. And I hadn't cried in a long time. Not like that. But she left. When my friend gave me the Bible, I threw it on my screen porch. As I was struggling and just crying like I've never cried before. Grown man, just crying. I looked up. There sat the little pocket Bible. Something told me to pick it up. I wiped my eyes out. I look to the sky. I say, God, if you are real, I don't even know you're real. Please tell me something. I am desperate. I open the book, rub my eyes some more, and a scripture jumped off the pages, and it said, he who the Son sets free is free indeed. I heard the word freedom. I freaked out, got excited, forgot about the drug that weekend, asked my wife to go to church. My wife is freaking out. Church. Now you want to go to church? Right. So we went to church that Tuesday. I had to go to my drug counselor and I was ready for him this time, but I didn't know how to explain it. I was so overwhelmed. I forgot that I didn't do no drugs that weekend. I kept on hearing in my head, you're a drug addict and always going to be a drug addict. Uh, if the sun set you free, you're free indeed. You're a drug addict. Everywhere I was going, I was out sleep at night. It was just back and forth, in the shower, back and forth. I didn't know what to do. So I finally was ready to talk to the counselor. The counselor pulls me into his room, and he said, you look different today, Jay. Did you do something different? Did you get a haircut? And I'm like, yeah, right. I said, I took a bath. That's about it. I don't know. He said, there's an aura about you. There's something, sit down, let's talk. He sat down, he started to talk. He asked me those same question again. I was ready. I, I made a big mistake back then when I got the scripture because I didn't know there was addresses and I closed the book. I couldn't find that scripture to save my life, but I knew it in my heart. If you ask me, I could tell you, if the sun sets you free, you're free indeed. Go find it for me. I couldn't find it. And he said, you're a drug addict and always going to be a drug addict. And he said, did you drink anything? No. Did you smoke anything? No. Did you do any liberal drugs? No. Did you hang around any friends? No. I said, but what I did do, what I did do, I got excited. And I pulled a little pocket Bible out. And I said, uh, I went to church. And he literally, his countenance changed. His facial, everything changed. He wasn't the nice little white doctor that I saw. He said, no, 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 no. We are not going to talk about the Bible in this place. We're not going to talk about Jesus. I want to deal with you and why you're chemically dependent. He goes to the charge, pulls down the charge. And I knew if I walked out, my wife is gone. She's from the West Side, too. You can do a lot of things. But if she says she's ready to go and she leaves, you, uh, a gun will not cause her to turn back. That's it. And so I was like, oh, I didn't know what to do. But I stood up and I guess God gave me the boldness, even before I knew him, to stand up and say, look, sir, you've done a great job. I really appreciate it. What I didn't want him to do 
please don't call my house. I was like, you've done a great job. And I pulled the little pocket Bible out and I said, sir, but this, there's something in this and I'm going to go find it. I go searching. I end up going to this church that's and started seeing that I was born and raised Catholic and I went, didn't know that I was walking into Assemblies of God Church in the early 90s. I went from where nothing moves to where everything was moving. And I was ready to get out of there. So I was going along and then I get a knock on my door at the worst time of my life. And it's my 11-year-old little girl that I said wasn't mine. She's now 11 years old. She wants to know who I am at the worst time of my life. And I have to explain that to my wife at that split second. Surprise! That wasn't good. My wife was a champ. My daughter got to meet me. The following week, she calls me to a concert at G. Roddy White Coliseum where I heard the gospel like I've never heard it before. I never knew. And he sang a song, This Blood's For You. It can heal the sick. It can mend the heart. And I started seeing it. I started getting this lump in my throat. My daughter sat to the right of me. She's 11 years old. My wife is pregnant, about to give birth. This is April. She's due in June. She's got my two-year-old son in her lap, my daughter's mother, her husband, and their children. They're the ones that invited me to the Christian concert. And then this guy began to talk about how Jesus walked up the hill and how blood and sweat and tears were falling from his face and that that this carrying a cross, and they made it to where, like, you were actually in the moment. It was a Carmen concert. And I was mesmerized by this message. And he came to my side of the stage and he said that the cross fell, a splatter of blood had Simon Sandal. And he looked up and he said, Simon, this blood's for you. But I heard down, not in my two ears, but down in the depths of my soul, I heard God call my name. I didn't even know he knew my name. He said, JJ, this blood is for you. And then he reminded me of the scripture on the porch. I got excited. They said, we want to pray for you. Stand up. Didn't want to stand up. I ended up standing up. Said, if you're a Christian, go lay your hands and pray over people all over this auditorium. I thought I was the only guy. And he began to pray like he had been in my mailbox. And I felt the hand on my back. And I thought it was a crazy Christian white people behind me. But it wasn't them. And something just told me, look. And I didn't even know what to look for. I didn't want to look around. I'm facing all these emotions. If the sun sets you free, you're, you're free indeed. Uh, you're a drug addict. No, it's going to be a drug addict. Simon, this blood for you. JJ, this. And, just, and what do you do in them moments? And I'm standing up. I'm embarrassed. I feel this hand on my back. And he's praying. And as I open my eyes, I look to see. And it wasn't the crazy white people behind me. It was my 11-year-old little daughter with one hand on my back, tears in her eyes, tears streaming off of her cheek, looking to the sky as fast as tears could come down anybody's cheek. And one hand in the air and raised to Jesus. And he said, if you're here and you're ready to get your heart right with Christ, we want you to come forward. My daughter reached up and grabbed my hands. She was weeping. She called me dad. I'm not her dad. Her dad is over there. He raised her. I didn't. And I went to the fort. And that day, I gave my heart to Jesus Christ, never to touch crack ever again. And today, I'm a free man because God set it up for my daughter to invite me at the exact same exact place to give my life to Jesus. And that was April of 1992. That's amazing because every one of us has a story. In God's uh, sovereign providence, he has a way of interconnecting, finding ways to each of us where we become from and where we're at at the time. I would think uh, about a word that's really been, was resonating because it reminds me of what the Lord does, but that word is called synchronicity. It's the simultaneous occurrence of events, which Mm. are significantly related, but have no discernible causal connection. And when I think about that, I know that God has a way of doing multiple faceted, multi and simultaneous things that interconnect at the same time 
including with people and situations that pertain to us. So when you think about what it took God to put every connecting piece, while you didn't even know it, was putting even things we've done and choices we've made that were not even godly, but God takes every experience, every relationship, and he pulls all these multiple seen and unseen factors together, and he brings it to that moment so you get a revelation of the work of the cross and the power of the message. And he still does that to us today, doesn't he? When we yeah. pray, we don't, sure we don't see the answer to our prayer. But yet God is already doing simultaneous things and connecting things that we don't even see. Because yeah. he's always going before us and being our rear guard, taking care of things that concern us. And I was thinking about what does a former drug dealer, drug addict, a person living for himself, and a, a medical doctor have together in common. And now you have the inner city ministry called SOS Ministries that w- that's stewarded by JJ, an incredible ministry touching all over the nation and other countries of the world. Medical Missions International, which is now uh, has was born and now you practice from Bryan College Station, but also still continue. You just came back from another trip to, I believe, Nigeria. You know, only God can put that together. An ex-drug addict, and, and gang-involved person who's reaching a lot of gang members now in at-risk youth to a person who was called to missions during medical school and then during your medical internship. And then all of a sudden now both of you are connected and we're all connected together. Only God can do that. So Dr. Cordemont, what gave you the heart and how did that evolve doing Medical Missions International? When I finally did go to a long-term mission trip to Nigeria. Me and my wife were there about two and a half years. Yeah, we had to get my wife first, right? So so you were a part of that. You you prayed for that wife. And uh, actually, the next year I met her, we got married like a year later. And then nine months later, I was graduating from my residency program in family medicine there in Houston. And uh, our home church, Bread of Life at that time, sponsored us to go on this mission, um, was really the backbone of our support there in Nigeria. And we started a mission hospital there during that time between 1988 and 91. God did so many good things. I mean, I was even feeling called into the ministry, wanted to leave medicine, and God was like, no. You need to learn how to do one foot medicine, one foot ministry, keep riding a bike. And so I was ready to stay there. Your medical is a ministry because it gives you open doors that some traditional classical ministry can't do. God's given you unique capacity and a platform through your medicine. It's so cool how, how God just orchestrates all those events. And I was ready to stay in Africa the rest of my life. I mean, we were ministering in churches and uh, in outreaches uh, medically and doing so many things. And then all of a sudden, uh, a prophet comes to Nigeria and starts prophesying about me going back to the United States and then I'm going to be located in a college town and God's going to use me to reach some of the down and outers, people who are atheist and cultic people and all this stuff. And I'm like, okay but i don't really want to do that you know uh so i really had to wrestle with that and and wrestle with okay god why would you be calling me back to america when i've given my life and my future for africa and and all the needs here and yet god made it very clear through uh, a number of different situations that i needed to come back the main one was my student loan that was $35,000. It was on deferment for two and a half years. And my father had told me he was going to take care of that loan. Well, guess what? He didn't take care of that loan. After those two and a half years, I had to start paying monthly fee for that amount of loan. And so that's what really brought me back was that loan. And of course, I had a prophetic word that coincide with it with that so i was like okay god what do you have planned and so we came back and i started asking some of the doctors that i know and we found the this uh, practice in navasota texas that was a needy county and uh, they would literally pay off my loan in three years if i would just go practice there i was like cool 
let's do it. Velvet was pregnant with our first child and we moved to Navasota. And my first year, I was part of a, a local church there in Navasota. But, you know, as a private doctor in a small town, after church, like I'm getting medical consults from all the people in the church. And, and I was like, you know, I think there's a better way of doing this. And so we had heard about this church in College Station, which was only, you know, 15 miles away. We started visiting. It was a spirit-filled Methodist church. You know, if that's not an oxymoron, but it happened. I mean, we were, we visited and it was like the first or second time I visited there, the Lord gave me a vision of us being at the River Jordan and revival was just on the other side. And that's how close revival was. And I was like, wow, I've been looking for a church like that one in New Orleans that I'd been a part of for six years and couldn't find one like it. And here's a church that that God's showing me in the spirit is that close to revival. So I said, we need to start going here. And of course, JJ was, that was his church. That church helped support SOS and JJ and get him moving on the vein of his evangelistic outreach. And so before long, me and JJ got together and we started talking and we had a similar heart to reach the lost me through medicine and him through the streets and through the jails and wherever else, the schools. And we, we began to say, okay, well, how does God want to bring this together? And then someone had dropped uh, like 19 acres into the SOS ministries. And he's like, man, maybe we could do that medical outreach you were talking about. And so we had actually already started a little medical outreach in one of the Hispanic churches in town. And we were seeing a lot of people, like twice a month, uh, the first and third Tuesdays of the month, we would have people come in that couldn't get care other places. And we had all these volunteers. I had known you uh, at that time, and we had some connection, of course, with Turning Point, and then now Somebody Cares. And you had a, a summit, and so we connected with JJ and went down to Houston and uh, started hearing about all the Somebody Cares chapters and we're like, wow, this sounds like us, you know? And so we got with you and and you said, look, y'all are already doing Somebody Cares. Y'all don't need a chapter. Y'all just keep doing what you're doing. And we were like, no, we want to be under under your your umbrella and we, we want to make this official. And so we got together and started, you know, Somebody Cares Brazos Valley, which is the valley of around College Station Bryant, we began to make it more intentional about making outreaches and, and calling them Somebody Cares events. So our clinic became Somebody Cares uh, Clinic. And then JJ would have some of the outreaches and we would connect and we would do food distribution and all kind of different things. And, and it was just a few years ago, we were kind of kicked out of our side of where we were doing our clinic. And Jay had just finished the men's home and had a little room there next to the garage area where they're, they're training all their men coming out of, out of prison and stuff. We said, look, can we utilize that room to do this clinic? And, and they're like, sure, come on, you know. So, so we started doing that clinic and it's still there today. We're, we're using one of the, the buildings that JJ has begun through Somebody Cares to do that clinic on the first and third Tuesdays of, of the month. Well, there goes that word that keeps coming back, synchronicity again. Yeah. All these factors that somehow have interconnection that God is orchestrating for every... It's, God already had all these things understood. But every component fits so perfectly together that we could never have thought on our own. And, and you had mentioned JJ's men's home. He has a women's home. And uh, JJ, you went from being this person radically saved through all these things that God did to being a part of the same church uh, at Aldersgate United Methodist that was really the place that all the college kids were going at A&M at the time. Yeah, and, uh, and, and long before his gro- the, church, the, the community grew as much as it is now, and then, of course, other relationships that built birth out of that. And in fact, I did a thing in 1989 at the campus called uh, Spiritual Impact Conference there as well. And then subsequent ones since then and been a part of Aldersgate and doing things there over the years. 
But JJ, you went from like kind of like me when when God got a hold of you, you didn't stop to say, okay, let mm-hmm. me now go off to seminary and then get back into ministry. You mm-hmm. just went right into reaching the people that you had been partying with before, you've been engaged with, then people calling on you to help reach at risk youth and gang members. Mm-hmm. You got fast forward, you got thrown into this incredible ministry stewardship on all these acres. And I have to go do another building programs and others. You have men's homes. It's a neutral territory where people from Bryan and College Station, mayors and police chiefs and community leaders and county judges, they all come there. Uh, at-risk youth come there. You have a program going on on a regular basis. So as Stuart, Dr. Cordemont continues to be based there and flourishing, he's also still touching nations mm-hmm. through medical missions. At mm-hmm. the same time, you're there establishing this incredible ministry called Save Our Streets Ministries. In fact, you've spoken at quite a few of our Somebody Cares chapters and and outreaches across the country. Tell us how you went from being saved to being thrown into this incredible stewardship now called SOS. What is SOS Ministries? Uh, Save Our Streets Ministries, how I got compelled, how I got thrown in it. After I got saved, I knew I needed to do something. And uh, so that was April of 1992. When I got saved in December 31st at 11 o'clock, I timed it perfect. I'm going to the back of my room. My wife doesn't believe I'm saved. She doesn't believe I'm saved. Uh, it already been months. Uh, and so I go in the back room. I timed it. Back then it was cassettes. And I don't even know who the worship team was or whatever. I said, I'm going to enter the new year on my knees, thanking God that I am a free man today and that I love Jesus with all my heart and nobody could have done that. I have a new love. I have a new passion. I have just something brand new. And so 11 o'clock, I put the CD, the, the cassette in. And uh, during that time, which seemed an eternity, the presence of Jesus Christ himself came into my back room. And you can say whatever you want to. I was strung out or I was whatever. His presence was so strong that I dare not open my eyes because I felt if I opened my eyes, I was going to die on the spot because purity is in my room and I'm a man of unclean lips. And so I had my face in my hands and I'm awake. I get this vision of a 24-hour, seven-day-a-week center because when I was strung out, I wasn't going to call you eight to five. It was three o'clock in the morning, one o'clock in the morning uh, to 11.30 at night where I'm struggling and I need some answers. I need to call. I wanted to be that person or ministry or whatever to say, hey, we're here. Started going out to the streets. And that day when he came in, he showed me a 24-hour center. He showed me a men's home. He showed me schools. They used to kick me out of schools. I've gone... Texas A&M took my vision on as a project and gave us 17 different models. I was able to go speak to the architectural class, me with no rings, no certificates, no money, no nothing. And I saw that and I began to get more fearful and he showed me how to do it. And, and it was going to be bigger than I even thought that I could imagine in my mind. He said, you would never have to depend on government for one penny, that the body of Christ, I didn't even know what the body of Christ meant, would fund this ministry. We would be a part of being the body of Christ, of bringing the body of Christ together and, and never to seek government for one penny. And one thing that he did tell me, he said, don't ever forget where you came from. And then he showed me a sea of people. We kind of like switched and they looked just like me. And they said that they, and I looked and I dared whisper. I was shaking and I whispered and they all looked like me. And I said, Lord, if one of them come out, I dedicate my life this day for that one person that looks just like me. And he whispered back in my ear, whisper, small, still voice. He said, JJ, I don't just want one. I want them all. I wish that none should perish, but all come in the saving knowledge of my son, Jesus. And then he left. My wife swore I was on drugs back there in the back doing drugs. But I gave her fresh from the press 
exactly what God told me. I told her they never cut off these lights. They never shut off this phone again. They'll never cut off my gas because I couldn't pay the bills. That from now on, as a matter of fact, the, the office number was actually my home number. That's actually the number. So that they never did shut it off. I prophesy it was for real. It's happening. And so in that year, God told me to put a tent revival. I went to Stuart Cordemont because he was one of my Christian friends that understood. And I wanted, God told me to put a tent right in the middle of the corner of an intersection that was notorious in, back in them days for violence. As Nikki Cruz would say, Frankenstein and Dracula feared coming to that intersection. <laughs> and so I put a tent revival. We were going to go three days. Then it started raining. It started like a monsoon. It was the coldest it's ever been in November ever. In November 1st, 2nd, 3rd, we were going to go three days. I didn't have a worship team. I went and got what people would call a ragtag uh, worship team. Uh, I didn't even have a stage. People started pitching in. We ended up getting it, long story short, the power of the living God, not been in a meeting that strong ever again. And everybody that went to it said the same thing. As a matter of fact, the gang members and the drug addict on the streets named the tent. They said it was the tent that made you repent. And uh, every night at altar call, ended up getting my pastor at the time to come preach because I didn't believe I was a preacher. Every night there was paraphernalia, guns left at the altar, cigarettes, drugs. A man left a pouch with some kind of, uh, I don't know what that was. That scared me more than the nine millimeter. And I said, I'm not touching that. Y'all touch it. Get rid of it. We started a program with the police that day that we would turn in guns, no question to ask, because they wanted the guns off the streets. The police started following me. So then a group of pastors saw what I was doing, had a meeting and said, do you have a 501c3? I said, no. Are y'all cussing? What is a 501c3? Y'all people over here, I don't understand. And they said, and so that day after that tent revival, was birthed, 1993, was birthed Save Our Streets Ministries 28 years ago. This November will be 28 years. 28 years. Well, you know, that reminds me of what happened to me. You know, it was in 1981, 40 years ago this year that I had that encounter with the Lord. And next thing, I, I won't get into my story, but um, how God threw me into ministering to people nobody else wanted, just like you. And, and now it's been 40 years, and we're going to be celebrating our 40 years of ministry, really to cross the Jordan, Dr. Cornermont, it's time to cross the Jordan again. And, yes. and so I understand even the 501c3, I was just doing ministry and trying to run it through a fitness business that I had. And people said, <laughs> you know, 501c3, I go, a what? Right? For years, I called it a 503c, 50c, uh, <laughs> and uh, Hawaii 50. Right. And it wasn't until probably 1984 that we actually established Turning Point Ministries and later became known as Turning Point Ministries International is all of our relationships and missionaries that came out of that all over the world. And not to confuse it with other Turning Point Ministries, but that was, we were one of the first to start using that name. And then now we've been known for another ministry we established called Somebody Cares Houston, America with chapters and affiliates and Somebody Cares International, which we've all been interconnected in. And uh, we've gone a lot further than I thought. I didn't, I'm sorry to keep you on so long, but we have to wind this down. If you want to read more about Stuart Cordemont and J.J. Ramirez and Medical Missions International and SOS Ministries, I wrote about them a little bit here in the book, Mending the Net, Bringing Hope in a Hurting World. And I'll also give you their websites here in a moment so you can find out more about their ministries. Dr. Cordemont and, and J.J., in the last couple of minutes we have, how has our relationship had, as you've had an influence in my life, how has my, our relationship had an influence in what you do and in your life personally, as well as the ministries that you have and how have you been connected to us? Well, you know, the key is relationship. That's, you said the word. To me, you have to have that relationship with Jesus. If you have that relationship with him, then he kind of gets you with your brothers and your sisters, right? And when we connected, we had a kindred spirit. That's all I can say. It's a, a similar vision, a similar call, a similar destiny. 
And when you connect with a brother or a sister that has that, it's like, this is my brother, this is my sister. So I'm going to help them every way I can. And if they they can help me, I'm, I'm all for it. And so I, I think just connecting with each other, the summit really helped a lot because that would bring all of us together. And a lot of people that you've rubbed shoulders with, uh, we get to be a part of. And even this podcast and some of the things you're doing now through your books and stuff, we're getting to connect with some of those people that you've connected with and had that kindred spirit and 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 it helps us all to be encouraged to keep moving in the vein that god has us for and really help others kind of come together and pull together even though we all have our little specialty of what god has called us to do we still are together in a in a group i kind of see us like david's mighty men he had a group a subgroup of his army that he called his mighty men. There were people that there were armor bearers. There were people that had greater faith than the rest. And he could lay down his life for those guys. Those guys laid down their life for him. And I, and I see that happening through somebody cares all over this country and the world. And the good news is we're also not just brothers, we're friends. And it's great to see the lifelong friendships that we've, that we've established. And I'm thinking even when we flew into to Haiti early on and it's the major earthquake there. And we were able to even help other doctors and their their medical facilities there. And and so we've all been connected and even times where other crises like Katrina, Rita, Ike, and so many others that we've all worked together and the JJ. So so thanks Dr. Cordemont for taking the time today. And by the way, the name of your urgent care in College Bryan College Station is? Aguiland Urgent Care. And then in fact, we, we named it that because, of course, I have two sons that are Aggies, so that helps. But there's a, a kind of overarching moral fabric to A&M. It's called Relis, and it starts with respect and, and leadership and loyalty and integrity and selfless service. So we kind of promote that through the urgent care, and we try to bring in a lot of the Aggies that go to the university here and uh, bring them in on that ground and yet love them like Christ loves them. And when you walk in, I was there, we prayed and dedicated some things and, and prayed together when you opened it and uh, you walk in the wall, it says some of the proceeds goes to somebody cares Brazos Valley outreaches Correct. and to medical missions. Correct. And so that is the epitome of the characteristics of the king that continues to be the passion of your heart. How can people get a hold of Medical Missions International? You have a website? Yeah, it's mmitexas.org. MMI for Medical Missions International, mmitexas.org. Amen. And Jay, how has our relationship been good to you? And how do you feel like the relationships have helped you in some ways in your life? I was a guy that, uh, you know, even though I had a dad and but he was never there before. And you are one of those guys that came and touched me. Every great man or woman of God, I believe, needs to be touched by another great man or woman or bring them in. And one day, I didn't know you knew me, but you asked me, but you pointed me out. And so even Jesus was pointed out that the father said, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Words can express what it means to connect with my brothers and sisters. We all have the same DNA. There's something about it when we all connect in every way that you can think of. Somebody cares, America. Doug Stringer himself has radicalized, changed my life, changed the life of how we do ministry, has given me ideas and understanding and helped me come around the right place, and then introduce me to friends like my spiritual dad, Nikki Cruz. And Doug, you're my dad too, so I have two dads. We can have multiple dads. And so... Uh, we stories about Nikki, don't we? But we won't tell that. Uh, yeah, yeah, we won't get in there. And Nikki has just uh, given me... What it did is, when we're in the streets, the reason a lot of kids are angry is because they just not only have a dysfunctional family, They have no family, some of them, that can do anything. It gives us a family. It helped me understand what it is that we need each other. Your wisdom 
that God has placed in your life has been life-changing. It's an honor for me to have a man like you and Stuart in my life that never had men. I wasn't used to pastors. I didn't know if pastors liked me, but you helped me understand, you know, what I needed to do and how to do it. So much wisdom, so much richness out of dwelling together. There's a commanded blessing every time we get together with somebody cares and God blesses every single one of us. It's a net that works. It's not messed up. It works. This is it. And I don't know where we would be without knowing Pastor Doug Stringer or somebody cares or turning points. Y'all are my family. I didn't have family before. Y'all are like Jesus, a friend that sticks closer than a brother. That's what it means to me. I like you know, I'm married to a Latina now. We are La, uh, La Familia. La Familia. La Familia, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, how can people get in touch with you at SOS Ministries? What's your website? Our website is saveourstreetsministries.org. Mexicans like long names, so it is spelled out all the way. You can go SOS Ministries and find us on Facebook. JJ Ramirez at saveourstreetsministries.org. You can get me personally. You can call our office, um, 979-775-5357. We'd be glad to serve in any way, capacity. And I'm going to tell you one other thing. When Doug calls... I'm going to make sure that everything in my possible ability, I'm going to be there for Doug like he is for everybody around the world. Thanks, man. I appreciate both of you taking the time to be on as we all learn together that we catch a fish, but together as a mended net, we can be cast by the Lord together, do a whole lot more. And definitely the the world needs hope right now, like never before. And, and again, that synchronicity that God Amen. multifaceted things has brought us together for, I believe, a suddenly moment. And this is that moment for us over together. Head over now to a wordinseasonpodcast.org and let us know how we're doing by taking a quick survey. If you need prayer today, reach out to prayer at somebodycares.org or you can call or text our 24-hour Somebody Cares America prayer line, 855-459-CARE. We hope you enjoyed this episode of A Word in Season with Doug Stringer and Friends and ask you to prayerfully consider supporting the ministry at somebodycares.org or by texting your donation amount to 805-422-7348. Please join us again for A Word in Season with Doug Stringer and Friends.